Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Hey there, and happy holidays, everyone. From KQED Public Radio, this is Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos. And I'm Scott Schaefer. And today on The Breakdown, we're going to look back and forward. So uh, get your seatbelt fastened. We're going to be on the roller coaster of politics in America these days, people. That's right. We have two very special guests here in studio with us to chew over all the ups and downs of the recent days, weeks, months, and what's ahead. First up, Senior Chronicle political reporter Joe Garofoli came all the way down Mission Street to join us. (laughs) Hey, Joe. That was uh, two full BART stops away. (laughs) (laughs) And we also have uh, our very own Guy Marzarati here in the studio. Hey, Guy. An even shorter commute than Joe. Yeah, right. right. Ordinarily, he's on the other side of the glass. Jeremy Siegel is there today, so uh, yeah. Yeah, Good to happy, to, happy to have you guys, and I guess we should tell our listeners we are sort of breaking format today. We're doing a reporter roundtable to talk about the year in politics and the year ahead, which promises to be a doozy. I hope you're all going to rest up in the next few weeks. Um, but first, I wanted to start with a little lightning round here. Uh-oh. Grade that Californian. How was their 2019? Uh, Joe, let's start with you. Nancy Pelosi. I will give uh, the speaker an A- minus for her shepherding. Her go slow shepherding of the impeachment process. Why the minus? Why the minus? Yeah, I am a hard grader. Okay, <laughs> well, just Guy? Go, I, I think Pelosi has not got enough credit for something this year, and that's whipping members. Something we all associate with her. Being oh no, she very doesn't whip. At. She just listens, guys. She, she just listens. She listened the on the impeachment vote. But no, serious. I mean, look, yeah. look at the biggest things in front of Democrats. She lost two votes on impeachment. She only lost two votes on background checks. Didn't lose any votes on election reform or the prescription drug bill last year. I think that's... They got NAFTA done, which is a win for all sides. I mean, especially in light of how many uh, House Republicans who were recently in the majority would jump ship on big votes. I think that's... you know. Well, and you have to also consider where she began the year. I mean, there were people who wanted to throw her overboard for somebody else. I mean, uh, Tim Ryan from Ohio and others were leading the charge. They felt she was like old news. And she has had a resurgence. Uh, I mean, she's now like a so social media. A? I would give her a solid A. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm a little easier teacher than, than <laughs> Joe <laughs> Garofoli. Uh, no, I think that uh, she has really had a resurrection. She's become sort of this uh, social media thing. She's sensation. a meme. She's a meme. Um, yeah, she's multiple a Multiple times over. I agree. I give her an A. I mean, I even think... Trump's daughter was uh, on some TV show giving her... You know, so oh, really? I gotta admire not not yeah, it was Tiffany, I think. Oh, okay. She's on the outs with the <laughs> old man, but you know. That's a whole other convo. Yeah, wow. Um yeah. 
Uh, we're going to move on quickly, but I, I agree with Scott. I've done a lot of reporting on Pelosi, and I think that in a lot of ways, like, this was sort of the year where everything she has done in her life really came to bear for her. And I think that if you see the way members like the progressives who a year ago were not sure if they were going to vote for her or the moderates who were wanting to oust her are now talking about her, it's been it's been a good 365 days for her, despite all the, you know, other stuff. I always say about Pelosi that she the things she does best are the things nobody sees. And mm-hmm. the things she does worst are the things everybody sees. Public speaking. Public speaking. Right. But this yeah. year, I think she's really turned that around. The things she has done so extraordinarily well are things that have become memes that have been on TV, live in the Oval Office, standing up to the president, you know, during one of the cabinet meetings. So I think she's really turned that around. But uh, yeah, so and she's, she's, she's closing her the year with a bang, too, with this the way she is. Uh, Don't mess with me. Don't mess with me, but also the way she said, I'm not going to hand over the impeachment charges to the Senate. Save that. We're about to get to that. We're about to get to that, Joe. All right. Next up, Adam Schiff. He has been Pelosi's deputy in all of this. He is become this like lightning rod for conservatives. But, you know, what do you guys think? I'll go with a solid uh, B plus. I think uh, he's definitely handled this the entire process professionally. Look, he's brought in his prosecutorial background. I think it's a difficult job given how much politics has played in the impeachment process. I think Schiff is someone who's tried to keep that apart, but it's very it's it's a hard uh, road to hoe, especially given there have been so many things the president has done. Whether you go to through emoluments or obstruction of justice, that if you were to play it by the book, probably should have ended up as impeachment articles. There is politics in this process, and I think Schiff has, you know, he's had to kind of navigate. I would say the one place he stumbled was when he sort of summarized Mm. uh, a little loosely the uh, the, the readout from the Ukraine call with the president of Ukraine and President Trump. And he really, you know, took it on the chin for that uh, by from Republicans. But in general, I think, you know, the fact that Pelosi gave him the uh, gave his committee the initial inquiry instead of putting it in judiciary with Jerry Nadler uh, showed just how much faith she has uh, in him. I, I will give uh, another A minus for Schiff uh, because if he is one of those, uh, if it's in the category of the secretary of explaining stuff, he explains a very complicated, very complicated uh, uh, things very easily, which I'm not doing right now. Future senator, <laughs> future think- U.S. senator, maybe. Uh, I think the demographics work against him in California. But maybe he could win it on yeah. his own. Not, well, or I appointed, actually, but that's another I, conversation. Yeah, I might go with a solid A too, maybe A minus, just because of, to your point, Scott, the fact that that's sort of the only thing that you could really attack him on when he was balancing what's a very complicated set of facts to lay out. I mean, I think there's a reason Republicans jumped on that is because he hadn't really stumbled very much. And, you know, that that's the thing. And given the way the process played out, he had to take on kind of dual roles. He led the investigation, the inquiry of the impeachment, and then also led this public testimony that you heard in the Intelligence Committee. In previous impeachments, those had been done in separate channels, and he kind of had to guide both things. Absolutely. All right. Um, Before we go to a break, guys, how about our Governor Gavin Newsom? We have all been watching him for a very long time. Joe, let's start with you. How's his year been? I'll give him a B plus. I think he, uh, as, as he has done throughout his career, he he takes on a lot of uh, issues. He promises a lot of issues. And, you know, it's it focus has always been his challenge. And that's why he's sort of the uh, the overly ambitious kid who maybe 
put a little too much on his plate. I'd give him a solid B, B plus as well. I mean, he, let's face it, he inherited, compared to what Jerry Brown inherited, you know, he inherited on a platter a huge budget surplus. He kind of stumbled a little bit in his State of the State address, uh, confusing matters on the high-speed rail yes. and the twin tunnels a little bit, maybe trying a little too much to kind of jab his predecessor with whom he didn't have the best relation. But I think he, uh, you know, he's also hasn't made any huge mistakes. Uh, he has, I think, handled the PG&E issue pretty well, uh, both uh, saying, trying to get them out of bankruptcy, but also expressing the anger of ratepayers and consumers. So I, thought, I thought he's handled that well. And I think the, you know, the moratorium on the death penalty was something that, uh, you know, is it another area where he's like out in front a little mm-hmm. bit, but maybe, you know, catching catching the right wave. Right. I think keeping it a school analogy, I think he would be the kid maybe with the fanciest T-83 calculator has all the games on it because he did <laughs> come into class or at the governor's office as you have it with this massive surplus and a legislature that was, oh, I really got Joe You're fully <laughs> You need some clean no. air snort. I apologize <laughs> to the listeners and for that. And he came not only a surplus, but a legislature that was really itching to move mm-hmm. to the left and get a lot of things done that maybe Governor Brown had suppressed. I think what maybe has gotten overlooked in the last couple months of the year, Newsom really played the role of negotiator on both rent control and charter schools. He did a really good job of bringing different sides together and getting compromises. And those weren't necessarily things where he had the entire Democratic caucus unified behind him. I think he led and kind of brought a final deal together. I'm with you guys. I think a solid B. I think there's been some missteps. We didn't mention vaccines. I think there was a lot of consternation at the Capitol around his leadership or sometimes lack thereof, his sort of muddled priorities. But I think, um, to to Scott's point, I think he has stepped up at the end of the year around PG&E and wildfires. I don't know where that will end, but I think that it has been, he has demonstrated leadership when it came to the power shutoffs, being out there, being in front of the cameras, really going out to people. And I think the fact that he went out and uh, really put a stop to some of uh, what PG&E wanted to do in bankruptcy court, it may not end up great. But I think for now, from an optics perspective, it's what he needed to do. And I think just maybe holding it back a little bit uh, from an A minus would be his relationship with the legislature. We've heard some grumblings about the way the office is run. You know, understandably, you know, they're they're sort of got up and running. Uh, and so we'll see how that plays out in 2020. I think it, and an example of that also is uh, how he played AB5, where he was between his two of his uh, prized uh, uh, children. So the gig uh, tech, economy bill. Yeah, the, tech, the gig economy, economy bill between uh, tech and labor. And he kind of stayed in the background. <laughs> and then he Well, kinda, he did that with vaccines, too, yeah. right? All right, we're going to get to that. We're going to take a short break first, maybe more snorts when we return. We will definitely keep talking politics with KQED's. Guy Marisarati and the San Francisco Chronicles Joe Garofoli. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. 
And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. And welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos here with Scott Schaefer, Guy Marzarati, and Joe Garofoli. Scott, Guy, and I are, of course, KQED's politics team, or t- Two, most of it. of it. And Joe is the Chronicle's senior political writer and host of his own podcast. Yes. It's all political. We're not plug that, are we? It's all political. Yeah, I, 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 I that's why I, I agreed to come on. I thought it was <laughs> <good. laughs> actually three plugs for it's all political. There's two. Um, all right, well... As we sort of alluded to, we've got a lot to cover here, but I feel like we would be remiss not to talk a little bit about impeachment. It was the news of the week, perhaps the year. Um, We have seen now, on this is Thursday, we're all talking. It has been turned into now a back and forth between Pelosi and Mitch McConnell over when or if the Senate will get these articles of impeachment. Um, Apparently, you know, I think... Depending on which side of the aisle you sit on, you can think that one side's winning over the other because that seems to be how we judge politics these days. Um, but I think, you know, Trump cannot stay out of the the mix no matter what's happening, right? And we saw him at a Michigan rally this weekend, Scott, t- t- or this week, uh, yeah, as the impeachment, as vote, the impeachment was vote was unfolding. And yeah, I think he, no matter what, needs to be in the spotlight. He craves that. And so he was at one of his sort of, you know, usual MAGA rallies last night. In Michigan. And uh, in the middle of it, he, I don't know, even it's like a stream of consciousness with him. But he started talking about the late Congressman John Dingell, who uh, had served in Congress for 59 years representing Michigan and kind of made fun of Dingell and uh, and his wife, who is now in Congress in his place. It's the nicest thing that's ever happened. Thank you so much. John would be so thrilled. He's looking down. He'd be so thrilled. I said, that's okay. Don't worry about it. Maybe he's looking up. I don't know. So the implication there that John Dingell might be in hell rather than heaven. And Trump was talking about how nice he was to Debbie Dingell and giving him what he called, you know, one A state funeral and the flag and all that. But, you know, nonetheless, I mean, obviously, we think there's no there's no floor or we've reached the floor. And sometimes he goes even lower. Nancy Pelosi at her press conference uh, today at the Capitol was asked about it. And the first thing she she paused uh, and she said, let's pray for the president. And then she added something. The president clearly is insecure when it comes to statespersons, whether it was John McCain now John Dingell. What the president misunderstands is that cruelty is not wit. It's not funny at all. It's very sad. So Pelosi using the language she's used. I pray for the president. I hope for him. I, I got to ask you guys, here's like here's the sort of bigger political question. 
do you guys think this might change anything? The, not this specifically, but things like this. Like, do you think that there's a point where independent voters in 2020 do get turned off by the president? Because this is obviously not the first time we've seen this. We saw it with John McCain. We've seen it with, you know, a disabled reporter in 2016. But he seems to be Teflon guy. Like, I, mean, I don't know. All statistical evidence would say, no, nothing can change. I mean, it's the whole Fifth Ave example. Nothing can change anyone's opinion at that point. And I think we've seen that with impeachment and incredibly steady poll numbers. And even it's even bumped of, up a little bit, a little well, bit in terms of even favoring or being against impeachment in the entire process from September to December. Public polls have have been remarkably uh, stable. And I think that has really led credence. If we're going to turn this to impeachment, led credence to arguments of given that political Reality. kind of stability, then why not? Why is this process not just being played out largely along constitutional lines. If there's really nothing to be gained politically from it, and I think that's when this the, the next phase of this is, as you alluded to, going to be the negotiations that uh, Speaker Pelosi might be able to leverage over turning these charges over to the Senate. But if, if they're really like how much can be gained politically at this point, um, I think is a open question. You know, I, I think it's a it's sort of a truism that, uh, you know, uh, 11 months is an eternity mm-hmm. in politics. I, I've always felt, you know, reading some of the testimony from the, you know, the transcripts from the Intelligence Committee that there's something missing in this story. You know, some of the things that Trump has done with regard to Russia and Ukraine and other things, it's like it doesn't quite make well, there's sense. There's a lot missing. We don't well, know what anyone in his administration could say they haven't testified yeah. but i mean the you know what pelosi said you know in in that meeting uh, a few weeks ago everything is about putin with you and so i i think that sometime over the next several months we may get some additional pieces of this puzzle i don't know that impeachment per se is going to be a big game changer i think you know we we live in this crazy news cycle now where people will largely have forgotten about it by right. by june yeah joe i mean you're from a swing state Originally, Pennsylvania. What about your people? I've been watching Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. And in Wisconsin in particular, the polls say that people are watching or keeping an eye on impeachment, but it hasn't moved them one way or the other. And that's the same thing of learning in the in our own home swing state, home state uh, swing districts in Orange County. It's not on the table. It's not a kitchen table issue. Um, One thing that Pelosi, maybe this helps explain my A minus, is that she said she would go into impeachment with bipartisan Mm. uh, support. She did not because it's impossible to get for all the reasons we've been talking about. The two sides are intractable. I think, you know, we see the Chronicle headlines today, headlines all over the country, president impeached. It's a historical day, but. For some reason, it doesn't feel like it, does it? It doesn't feel like it. It doesn't feel like it because nothing has changed. Well, and I think that this is the thing that's going to be really fascinating for 2020. And let's sort of transition and talk about the presidential primary. Um, And we should know we are taping this before the debate on Thursday night. And so we do not know what is going to happen there, although we could probably guess given the last 18 debates or however many (laughs) hours of television we've all had to watch these folks already. Um, But this idea that, you know, you hear a lot from especially swing voters that what they really are turned off by is the rhetoric on both sides. And that gets me back to like sort of Trump's nastiness, but also obviously, you know, like Rashida Tlaib posting a video of her being very sort of excited to go to the impeachment vote, Nancy Pelosi's amazing sort of finger wag at her caucus. Um, and, and, and I don't know, it, it just it, 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 it will be fascinating depending on who the Democratic nominee is to see kind of where they take the campaign and how they try to respond to Trump, because I don't think 
Clinton did a very good job. Well, you know, and elections are always about voter enthusiasm. Who turns out? You know, I don't mm-hmm. think you're going to persuade a lot of people at this point, although, you know, maybe depending on who the Democratic nominee is, perhaps there'll be a little bit of that. Uh, but it's really about whose voters are most motivated. And I think impeachment does make Republicans a bit more motivated. And we'll see who the Democrats nominate and whether that person, let's say it's Joe Biden, he hasn't really shown any evidence of being able to excite people. It's more like, well, he could be Trump. And the thing that we often ignore or blow off is the person who's uniting or who who has shown that he can unite the Obama coalition or she young, or yes he he in this case uh, is a 70 year old uh, Jewish guy from Brooklyn named Bernie Sanders he is the person who who has uh, got most of the support from Latinos from African Americans and from young voters but you know what's his ceiling you know, can he can he bring over other folks? Although, you know, we had a change research was, poll yeah. conducted for KQED. And if you look at the numbers in California, Bernie Sanders is at 26 percent. Elizabeth Warren at 23. Do the math. It's almost half of the voters are for those two, you know, the most progressive candidates mm-hmm. in the race. Um, I don't see Bernie dropping out. I don't see her no. dropping out anytime soon. So we'll see. Maybe Biden can slip through the middle. But, you know, you've also done reporting, Joe, on Pete Buttigieg. Right. Why well, should I mean, before we get I just want to set that up to see in this latest change research poll, we saw that the biggest jump of any candidate was between the polling we did in October with change research and in December was Pete Buttigieg. I think he went up three or four points. But almost all of that gain was among older white voters. Right. And, and Joe, you had a great article this week about like, you know, at a Pete Buttigieg fundraiser. I think it's an open question. Like, how does he expand that? When he was at a I did uh, uh, 75 fundraisers in, in California, Northern California this last week. And um, he was getting questions at his own fundraisers from people who have written him checks for thousands of dollars. Why don't more black people support you? Well, donors want to know that, right? I yeah. mean, I think that's one of the like more interesting things about this race is how strategic really all Democratic voters appear to want to be. I would not make the argument that they're, they're going to be able to bet on the best horse because I think it's a really hard calculation to make what other people will support right, right? right. but that who's the most is elected? so Maybe, sort of indicative of, of this moment right that everyone wants to know who can beat Trump and who can bring in the support from these other groups. Although I would say there's a big divide even among mo- more moderate candidates like Biden and Buttigieg over whether this is about Trump and how how big right. a role Trump should play in the campaign. I, I was fascinated earlier this week, both Biden and Buttigieg put out separate statewide TV ads in Iowa. And the Biden commercial is almost, I mean, it's all about Trump. He's just omnipresent in the commercial. It's images of him, speeches of him from Charlottesville. The Buttigieg commercial, there's almost like a Voldemort vibe. Like you, (laughs) we're not saying his name. The actual commercial is about what, you know, what does a post-Trump presidency look like? How can we talk about other issues? Very meta. How can we talk about other issues in the campaign when we're not talking about uh, Trump? So in those two might have more in common uh, on the policy front, but I think that's an ongoing divide over how large does does Trump loom in this primary? Absolutely. Uh, just a reminder, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. Radio. I'm he- Marisa Lagos here with Scott Schaefer. Today we're talking with politics reporters Guy Marzarati and Joe Garofoli. Um, I I thought it was interesting, too, in this change poll, the fact that Elizabeth Warren was like head and shoulders above when people said, who would be your second choice if your preferred candidate is not running? In that question, she's at 29. Bernie's behind her at 17, which I would guess speaks to a couple things. One is that I think that, you know, there's definitely this Bernie Elizabeth Warren sort of 
vibe in terms of like who likes whom. But I also think that there's a lot of Bernie voters who just like don't want anyone else and maybe are just like skipping that kind of question or, you know. And I think also she, you know, she is exciting people. And even if you're maybe she's not your first choice, you know, you may be excited, especially if your first choice is Bernie. You know, you may feel like, hey, she'd be a great alternative for the nominee. And I think there's also probably a lot of women, my guess is, that who are impressed by she's a great storyteller. I think of all the candidates, she's done the best job of sort of laying out her platform in ways that people can relate to and Mm -hmm. understand. Um, Whether she can bring in some of those independent swing voters remains to be seen. But yeah, that's an underrated part of of Warren's candidacy, because if you when you hear her long speech, it's it's it is a good story. It's a good story of her upbringing. She grew up in in Oklahoma. Her her parents weren't well off. She she was a, um, a, a young mother. Um, she was a, a school teacher. She had struggles. It's not just the Harvard professor. And, you know, and I think some of the rap she gets is rooted in sexism as being a bit of a scold, you know, like a, the teacher who scolds you. Like Bernie never scolds anybody. Bernie's right. a, like Bernie's like 24-7 <laughs> scold. I mean, they actually gets... sent out a fundraising email just today sort of playing on that with like, you know, memes of him kind of like shaking his head and like, would I ever go to a fundraiser with a, you know, who, Bankers and it's like no yeah. no no and like she would, and she would they never play on that. that. Well, yeah. you, she can't. She's right. a woman. Right. But <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't underrate too that first point you made about uh, Bernie support as seen in California and national polling, the stability of his uh, basement, as it were. Like you yeah. know, there is there is a loyalty factor, and I think he shares this in some regards with Trump of a, a consistent diehards. loyalty mm-hmm. of diehards, right? And and that, I think, is It's been... not just about his policies. It's about him specifically. And oh, so yeah. interesting that it's really mostly, uh, particularly at least, among younger voters. Right, but I think that's not to be taken lightly, especially as in, in places like Iowa when voters are caucusing and really in person-to-person hashing out uh, who they'd like to support. If you have, if the people caucusing for you are... Diehards, I think that you know that's not going home. Well, listen, listen, Bernie is. That's one of the reasons because Bernie's been saying the same thing, whether you like it or not, for thirty-five years. Whereas uh, I didn't do my, I know, I I didn't do my new impression there. Whether you like it or not, (laughs) Um, uh, he's been saying the same thing for thirty-five years. Where Joe Biden has had to flip back and forth. Well, you know, the crime bill. I I didn't mean it. That you know, I oh, busing. Well, even Warren gets attacked. She was a Republican, although I think maybe we can suspense with that. Let's though let's come back closer to home in California because we are going to have a huge ballot. It is not just going to be the presidential race. We're going to have ballot measures to change Prop 13, uh, the property tax. You talking know. about November now. I'm talking about November, but well, this is all we're talking about next year. Okay, just checking. Um, we're, we're talking about things like. Okay, so this Prop 13 thing, we have uh, an AB5 referendum that Uber and Lyft are going to be pushing to basically change this law around um, how contractors are treated. We have a bail reform referendum. I mean, a lot happening. I'm curious how you guys think all of these sort of very California, but also national issues are going to impact the broader conversation here in terms of the presidential race or just like how we focus on all this. It's interesting that uh, so many, in fact, maybe all of the candidates running for president on the Democratic side have weighed in on issues like AB5 and the Prop 13 ballot measure, you know, and and bail for that matter, Um, because these do have resonance nationwide, some of these issues. I do think that the Prop 13 ballot measure to remove basically commercial property from the protections of increased property taxes is going to be a huge battle. Uh, Obviously, real estate interest developers and others are going to spend a ton of money. Labor is all in on getting it passed. 
teachers as well. And, it, you know, I don't know how it plays out, you know, compared to the presidential election, but it's it's going to be uh, hard to avoid. Labor is going to have two major fights here, the the uh, AB5 fight and the Prop 13 fight. Will they have enough money to, to fight two plus major— Plus the presidential. Right. Plus the presidential. Uh, you know, the California Labor Federation is going to have their hand out. Although, I mean, to be fair, for November for labor in California, presidentials, like, True. they might be shipping folks to other states. Yeah. But, you know, I don't think that that's going to be a huge thing. Right. And, and all of these might not make it to the ballot. I think AB5, there's going to be a tremendous effort in January. We, we often lament there's not enough attention paid to cleanup and, and follow-up legislation. I mean, the cleanup on AB5— could give Mr. Clean gray hair. I mean, this is going to be you had lawsuits we've seen from truckers. We saw this week from, uh, you know, newspapers. I think there's there is a lot of pressure on Lorena Gonzalez and Democrats in the legislature to address very specific. I mean, this is incredibly complicated legislation. And there's been a lot of pressure to address specific groups, find a way to carve them out, find a way to address those lawsuits. And also, as you all mentioned, this big ballot push coming from Uber, Lyft, or Dash. Yeah, we didn't even mention the privacy. There's another privacy measure, rent control. I mean, it's rent control, be a, yeah. A I mean, uh, Weins, Michael Weinstein might spend a lot more money. Um, a couple minutes left, guys. So uh, housing has been such a huge issue in homelessness in California. Um, I'm curious. I mean, Guy, this is something you've been watching closely. Do you think we're going to have another year of like really robust debates in the legislature? Is this something that you think there's an urgency around the same as coming into last year? Yeah, I mean, I think and I think it will probably happen early. I mean, uh, Scott Wiener will be back with another effort to push zoning reforms and SB 50. I'm curious to see how much this will play, especially as you have presidential candidates uh, in the state in the next couple months. Um, you know, I know we're recording this before the debate. I'm curious how much if housing will come up at all, given that the candidates are going to be in Los Angeles. And how can homelessness not? I mean, you can't drive anywhere in L.A., San Francisco, Oakland without it being so visible and so just heartbreaking. And I think right. that's one reason some people are you know, upset that uh, not uh, just Kamala Harris, who dropped out, but Julian Castro, who the former HUD secretary has a very comprehensive housing plan, isn't going to be on the stage tonight. Um, and there is a lot the federal government can do. I mean, funding for from HUD has been going down for decades. It's not just Republicans. No, it's although not just Ben Carson has been particularly, I would at say, the switch. well, or, or just hostile to the yeah. idea of the, the mission of his agency. I mean, that was a big part of Trump coming in is to put people in charge Rick Perry at Energy, you know, he I can remember that was the department he wanted to kill. <laughs> joke for you political insiders. <laughs> and new, uh, let's remember, the governor also promised, our governor also promised millions of units of new housing. But then, he, of course, he comes it's back. An so that's an aspirational <laughs> right. goal. But, you know, you He's did gonna campaign on, on it. it. Yeah, you, but it's a realistic goal to, to have the problem go down. We have to create yeah. more housing and we have to take care of the 130,000 people. But I don't think the, the needle's been moved on this conversation. We saw just this week Scott Wiener's own board of supervisors in his home city vote against that bill again. Um, again. again. Um, all right. I think that's going to do it. Wow. Thanks, you guys, for... Uh, Where's the champagne? Isn't this the end of the year show? We'll, we'll get it next time. Here, next time, Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> all right. Joe Garofoli from The Chronicle. Thanks for coming in. Guy Marzarotti, thanks for walking down the hall. Yep. <laughs> Back behind the glass next week. <laughs> That's going to do it for this edition of Political Breakdown. It is a production of KQED Public Radio. Oh, I'm supposed to say something here. What am I saying? How about our producers are Guy Marzarati and Jeremy Siegel. Our engineers are Rob Spate and Seal Muller. KQED's team includes Holly Kernan, Ethan Lindsay, and Vinnie Tong. 
I'm Scott Schaefer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Scott Schaefer. <laughs> We're going to get Scott some rest over the next Ugh. few weeks. I'm Marisa Lagos. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at M Lagos. Thanks for listening and happy holidays. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.